Welcome to the Insight Podcast. Today, Dr. Nilesh Satguru is joining me on the show. Nilesh is a former doctor turned self-mastery coach, and he wants to help you awaken true success and master your emotions with compassion. I talked to Nilesh about the power of compassion to change lives, how self-compassion can help us overcome fear, anger, and sadness. Nilesh's three A's method for managing emotions, his favorite approaches for developing self-compassion, and much, much more. Enjoy the episode. Nilesh, you are the, the compassion coach. That, that is your thing, what you're known for. But what about those people that hear that and think, oh, come on, compassion sounds a bit soft. Like, give me something more that I can get my teeth into, exercise, meditation, healthy eating. What are you talking about? Are we just talking about being, talking kindly to ourselves and looking in the mirror and shouting affirmations about, uh, to ourselves? What do people get wrong about compassion? What would you love people to know about the power of compassion? Watch your thoughts, for they become your words. Watch your words, for they become your actions. Watch your actions, for they become your habits. Watch your habits, for it becomes your character. And watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. So it was Lao Tzu that said that. And the way I like to approach everything is through the root cause. And so if people think it's soft going to the root cause, then I would challenge and invite their beliefs with love, of course. You know, there are so many ways I can answer this question. And I do hear it and I understand it because I went through an enormous part of my life with unaware of how hard I was being on myself. Mm. And we can delve into that. But a lot of people are playing small. A lot of people are living in mediocrity, not stepping into their gifts that we all have because they've been told that they're not good enough or they don't belong whether they're not safe or they should be scared, or they've had past traumas in their lives, passed down through generations sometimes. Mm. Uh, compassion is the one practice that's consistent across all spiritual texts and traditions. What does that tell you? It tells you something very, very profound that actually we've all come from compassion. We would not be alive without compassion. Think of it. We all were born from a mother. And the embodiment of feminine energy is compassion, fierce and tender. You would not be alive without compassion. Okay, so are you saying that some of these kind of approaches are, are a little bit surface level and you want to get deeper, you want to get deeper into it? Absolutely. That's what makes everything that I do in my coaching and my clients unique. Because yeah. you know, some people work on habits and tactics. I still do all of this stuff as well, by the way. Some people work on habits and tactics. Amazing. So you want to you get fit. Uh, you want to attract a new partner. You want to perhaps improve your income or your performance at work. So there's some, you go online, you find some habits, you buy the book. Great. Information. The next level, motivation or inspiration. And at this level, you, you know about strategies, about when to do things, how to do things, perhaps even why you're doing something. And um, again, that can be helpful. But yeah, for me, it's always about your frame of focus mm. because where energy flows where focus goes energy flows where attention goes energy flows 
And that makes up your identity. That makes up your environment, who you are. And so when people desire or want anything in this world, it really represents an emotional and an identity shift. And that's why compassion is so essential. Yeah. And you spoke to the how ca- uh, compassion is seen across all of those ancient religious texts. And now we're seeing, aren't we, a, a coming together of the modern science with that ancient wisdom as well which is incredible, isn't it? And, and I, I know that you're a wealth of knowledge in, in both of those two areas and bring them, bring them together so easily. But what if we went to the other end of the spectrum, the, the science, the research? Are there any particular studies that like really stand out to you? I know that there are some that you refer to quite often because they really highlight just how um, impactful this compassionate approach can be. So many. I'll start <laughs> off with saying that, guys, I... You know, I, I came from a very logical background, a very scientific background. My father was a scientist. He was a PhD. My mum was also into science. I studied medicine. I was in medicine for 11 years, so I completely get it. And I was in the spiritual closet for a good year <laughs> and a half where I didn't talk about my uh, love for spirituality. Greater Good Organization from Berkeley in 2013 said, compassion research is at a tipping point. That is possibly the single best thing that we could do for the health and the happiness of everyone and the planet. That was in 2013, Sam. Now, I had the pleasure of having some personal conversations with Professor Chris Germer. Chris is one of the pioneers of self-compassion, along with Kristen Neff. They co-founded the Mindful Center of Self-Compassion. He went on to tell me that there's now dozens of thousands, over a dozen thousand studies just on compassion. One of my favorite ones is, um, but let, let's let's talk about what's going to be best for, yeah, let's talk about for you guys. Most people listening to this podcast are givers. They're people that love to, they're empathic, they're kind, they're loving, and they love to give to their family members, their friends. Perhaps they're listening to this podcast so they can be the best version of themselves. Why? So they can give more to others. I know this very well myself. Uh, I'm going to talk about two studies. First of all, there was a study from, Uh, the Max Planck Institute in Germany in 2014 that shows us that compassion has a different biological signature to empathy. Mm. So empathy says, I feel you. Compassion says, it's my intention to help or heal you. Uh, What we find is that compassion activates the centers in our brain for joy, reward, care, and love. This is why a mother can wake up in the middle of the night and you know, still provide love for a little baby that's crying. I know it's hard, by the way. Anyone who's listening to this, I have young kids, it's hard. <laughs> but empathy, it actually activates the insular cortex or the area that's associated with pain and suffering. So if you're somebody that can be drained by other people, environments, places, likely it is you're an empath, and that's a superpower, and that's to be completely celebrated. However, compassion could be that thing that helps you not get so drained. Now, the second study I'd like to talk about is from Richie Davidson. Richie's, again, Richie was the guy who came up with the term neuroplasticity. So this is how much of a big deal he was. He was the one, only in the 80s was it thought that our environment and our behaviors could shape the structure and function of our brain. Think about that for a minute, guys. It's completely groundbreaking. Richie has a center in the States called the Center of Healthy Minds in association with the Dalai Lama, et cetera. And they did this brilliant study where they 
wanted to prove that people who are compassionate become more giving. And you know from being in my coaching that we see this so much. You were just telling me a story about this. So what they did is they trained people in compassion. They uh, trained people through meditation practice over eight weeks in compassion. They compared it to another group who were trained in a different form of, of meditation. And what they then did, as they often do, is they showed them <laughs> videos of suffering. And then they showed them a video, in this case, of a dictator stealing money from um, an innocent victim. And at the end of the video, their brains were scanned through this process. And at the end of the video, they were asked if they could donate to this fictional character who had had money stolen from by the dictator. And what did they find? Well, the people trained in compassion became twice as giving. They gave twice as much of their own money. And if we want to talk about why that is, okay, and this is probably the most profound lesson for all of us, whatever stage of growth you're in, you're not here to save anyone. So compassion isn't about, I'm here to save you. I'm the hero. You're the victim. I, you're a villain. I'm a hero. It's not about that. It's, it's looking so deeply within someone that you see part of yourself within them. And so that's what this study shows to me is that when you, when you do the meditation, you start to feel more connected to everyone. And as a result, you're more giving. There's less fear, there's less pain. Interesting. Literally rewiring our brain through these approaches. It's incredible. And something that we've talked about in the past is the, th the things that um, frustrate us maybe in others might be a reflection of what's going on inside. And I don't know if I'm making a loose connection here and I'm just jumping to something or if, or if there is actually a connection that you identify there. But um, if what, can you speak to that as well? Because I think that's interesting. You, you talk about how compassion is like putting yourself in someone else's shoes. But there's also this other element. I, I know that when I get frustrated with other people or, or I've come to that, uh, you know, realization that oh, actually that is a reflection of me. I know it's something that either that I do or, or something for some reason, mm -hmm. that, that what's going on there. I don't know. What, what, what Can you tell me about that? Yeah, I can absolutely tell you about that. And I know you're <laughs> interested in the science and me too. You know, for a long, long thousands of years, mystic texts, they've said that the world is reflected by you. Like you create your reality. Your personality is your personal reality. And people go, yeah, yeah, whatever. But now we see with studies of consciousness, and I just posted a video on my Instagram the other day that, you know, if you were to put a fake hand and ask your eyes to look at this fake hand and tune the sensation of that fake hand to your actual hand, i.e. have someone rub your hand, which is out of your vision, and have someone rub the fake hand, within the course of 15 minutes, your body and your consciousness would believe that that is your hand. So much so if someone came to hit your hand with a hammer, you would feel searing pain from it, right? And it's just, so I, the brain is predictive. The brain wants to understand and the brain loves to repeat and do things in loops and react mm. to things. So when you Sometimes let's say you're irritated by someone's toxic trait and, and I've been up, we've all been there. Maybe someone isn't grateful towards you and you feel a bit annoyed. What does that tell you about you? It tells you that somewhere deep in your mind, you believe it is wrong to be ungrateful. Mm. Yeah, Nilesh, no, but it is wrong, Nilesh. I'm like, okay, okay, hold on. 
if you scammed across everyone in the whole world, in some cultures, perhaps maybe you didn't have to say thank you after every meal. And so this is a huge waking up. You know, I'm talking about root cause stuff. Your thoughts aren't always your thoughts. I mean this. Sometimes our beliefs have been bought by society, by environment, or through generations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yes, to unpick this from a scientific point of view, if you accept that as your reality from seven, eight years old, okay, you get told, drilled into you, Sam, you must be grateful. Then, of course, you at that age, it's important the way your brain's developing the emotional mammalian brain, up, down, left and right, good and bad, right and wrong. That helps you survive. That's how we determine our emotional states and make sense of them. This is good, this is bad. So at that age, you form a very strong belief and that creates your reality. Mm. Now, where does compassion come in? Well, compassion connects your whole brain, okay? So it connects the prefrontal cortex, the newest part of your brain, to the mammalian parts, to right at the back in your brainstem, the reptilian parts. And so you're able to decipher and start to choose the way you see the world. Because you can, you know, look inwards, like we've done a lot in our session, Sam, and say, hmm, why is it that that affected me so much? Oh, okay, I remember that... Uh, I, this happened a long time ago, and I formed this rule or belief. Do I still want that rule or belief? No. Okay, well, let me see if I can move forward. And that's where the um, the magic happens, isn't it? That that little spark in someone, and they, and they realise that, and then they pick it, and it's like, oof. You, 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 you see it in people with their shoulders relaxing, and, I, and I've, and I've yes. witnessed it when you say, oh, look at that. Like, I can, you know, it's yeah. so obvious, isn't it? <laughs> well, why don't you share, because you've got a fantastic story and you don't need to share names and all the details, but you have a story about how becoming more compassionate with yourself has affected the way you see others. Yeah, for sure. I think maybe you're talking about with, with family. Um, sure, yeah, whoever. Yeah. You told me you shared with me loads of different stories. Yeah, this is the thing. Um, but I think with family, yeah, it's become kind of um, a real, what is it? A revelation or a breakthrough just to be able to look in people's eyes rather than just kind of get that uncomfortable feeling that maybe we used to have with family when they're sharing something very personal maybe something about their past mm-hmm. um that they are they were worried about talking to you about and instead of that kind of child in me that, that the initial reaction might have been one of disgust or, or or push back or just 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 stay away from me i don't want to hear it like um now it's more of a i can look that person in the eyes and see them as an equal like a, a human being we all make mistakes and it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter the fact that maybe you know you're you're older than me we we hold people in we hold our elders in such kind of high regard don't we as we're growing up and think that there's no way they can make any mistakes they're perfect i'm going to learn so much from them and then mm-hmm. that realization that oh actually no that they're, they're dealing with their own stuff as well they've perhaps been through trauma and they're working through some stuff and and that's okay i completely understand it now and and we can have more what is it just just more genuine connection with each other instead is- of just that surface level stuff and let's talk about that. Let's talk about the science of connection again, because the guys will go, oh, is, is it woo-woo? Is it just soft to look in someone's eyes? And it's like, hold on a minute, okay? <laughs> One of the largest studies ever done on happiness 
called the Very Happy People Study, or the most famous, I should say, by Ed Dino and Martin Seligman. Well, it says that basically the most strong predicting factor of happiness is the strength and depth and the quality of our connections. Mm. And so I'd really love everyone to, to feel that message today. And I know this, I'd say this to myself as much as anyone else. And we also know the famous study from Robert Waldinger, the 80-year study in Harvard, where they followed up Harvard graduates. Again, it shows that the graduates who are happiest, healthiest, wealthiest are ones that had good quality relationships. I could go on and I won't do. So do you see that when, when you're compassionate with yourself and others, you, you connect to your true essence. Mm. And that's innately very fulfilling for, for every single element of your life. I mean, yeah. What, what else is there? Surely that is just what life is all about, I think. And you, so you talk about how we can master emotions through compassion. And that's what I want to get on to talk to now, that there are these three big emotions that play such a huge role in our lives, aren't there? Fear, anger, sadness. These can get in our way, I suppose, can't they? Um, get in the way of us living a life that is purposeful, a life that is happy. Um, but these things, like I said, they get in our way, they, they stop us, they at least slow us down for sure. So how is it that, compassion is the key to overcoming these emotions what role does it have to play here yeah well i'm going to share some personal stories because i think that you know it's been very important for me to when i set out on this journey to weave compassion into the world and ripple it into the world that i knew that it must start with me and there are many moments when i wasn't compassionate with myself so I'm going to start by saying no emotion is either right or wrong. It is only our thinking that makes it so. I've riffed on that Shakespeare quote, and I, I, I really, that's a huge message. That's what the mastery of emotions is. It's the dance of emotions. It's letting it flow through you, fear, anger, sadness. You know, in, in this past year, I've lost my father. I've gone through significant transformations, some of which have been painful. But because I've learned about compassion, they can flow through me and I can continue to function and thrive. Um, but let's go back to the root. So and many of you guys may have heard this story, but I'll go through it again. You know, I, I had my dream job at 27 and I signed on the dotted line as a GP partner where I'd have job security for the next 38 years. But like many people, I tried to be the hero. I tried to save the practice, which had a very long routine wait. And I was burning the candle at both ends. I had a new baby. I was stressed and burnt out. I was paying no attention to my emotional states. So what happened? Well, a patient came in and I was uncompassionate with the patient. They complained. And then I went into a period of a few weeks where I didn't really speak. I was very uncompassionate myself. I really started to learn about how my mind was creating my own suffering at that stage. I started to learn about quotes like, you know, people don't remember what you say, but they'll always remember how you make them feel. From that, I realized I was carrying a lot of sadness within me, a lot of shame, a lot of a feeling like I'm a bad father because uh, my son was having developmental challenges, or I'm a bad GP because I got a complaint, or I'm wrong, I'm not a good partner because of X, Y, or Z. Mm. And, and this is all way it's subtext, it's subconscious, but it's something that I had bought and was creating my reality. And, you know, as a result, that limited me. And what did that do for my reality? Like I said earlier, well, the brain loves to predict. So if you have a rule, 
think about think of it like a computer program. If you have a rule, like I'm a bad person or I'm wrong or there's something fundamentally wrong with me, then your awareness starts to tune into these things and your reality and you go, see, that's right, I am bad. Yeah. You, know? you have a failure and you start to then um you start to embody it and you start mm-hmm. to believe it's your identity. So what happened? Well, I started to read books from the Dalai Lama. I started to read books from Richie Davison. That's like into meditation, compassion, Chris Neff. And they all showed me that your suffering is mind made and that compassion is the way. And so over a course of years, it's not a linear journey. I learned, especially we're talking about sadness here, really shame and sadness are very closely linked. Mm-hmm. I learned that sadness is neither right nor wrong. It can be a superpower. It can be beautiful. And sadness only means that you're, it's, it's preparing you for loss. So if anyone is sad right now, maybe you've gone through a relationship breakup or you've lost some business or you're ill, it's your body's way. Emotions, it's chemical feedback. It's a chemical biological reaction and it's feedback from, I like to say your spirit. Some people say subconscious or your past, whatever it is. But it's just giving you feedback. And so you can approach sadness now with a, oh, wow, this is also the start of a transformation because every time you lose something, there's also a possibility for growth, change, and development. I mean, I could go on about shame, but the, the, the main points I want people to, to feel from this story is that there's no right or wrong of emotions. It's emotions, it's chemical feedback. It's literally a, 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 an embossing in your brain of how you've experienced something in your past. And therefore you can learn with compassion to lean in, accept, love, whatever place you're in, and then use that as a stepping stone for growth. And it's very important it's in that order. So you're going through something sad, do not resist it, lean into it, accept it, and then use that as a stepping stone for growth. This is something we've talked about a lot, isn't it? And I think I've shared some of my uh, frustrations with you, the kind of that I shouldn't be feeling like this. Come on. It's been six months now, for example. Um, I just want to get over this now. Let's just move on. But that, that piece about accepting it and there's no right or wrong emotions it's a message can be so um what's the word just just comforting and empowering to people going okay i'm gonna sit with this um it's okay and like you said there might be some beauty in that sadness if you are mourning over a a lost relationship and looking about looking back at how beautiful it was and how much you grew with that then that's that's amazing isn't it but at the same time, <laughs> where is that balance, Nilesh, with um, accepting it, but then also wanting to move forward and, and, and keep growing? And, you know, I don't want to carry on being sad for months on end. I, I want to be more happy and I want to help myself get out of a rut when I am in a rut, because sometimes that does happen to me and it happens to other people that they get in a, um, an anger rut, a sadness rut, a fear rut, where they just feel like, how am I going to get out of this cycle? Um, and I know that's my kind of practical brain speaking that, come on, I want some answers. I want to know yeah. what to do. Yeah, let's, <laughs> um, but, let's give me the yeah. framework. I've got a framework. So I, I get it. I love being logical and practical as well. Both, <laughs> both are very important. So I have a framework. Remember, compassion isn't just about 
it's the three A's of compassion, awareness, agreements, and then action. Action is very important. But where most people go wrong is that they start the action before any awareness and agreements. Um, Or, you know, in some cases, you get people who are aware and, you know, agree that there's something that they can do and they don't take the action. It's important they all come together. So awareness. At any one moment, there's always time for more awareness. How do I feel in this moment? Can I name the emotion? On a score of one to 10, how good do I feel? How heavy does my body feel? Because one of the key qualities of the mind, as said by Daniel Siegel, neuroscientist and psychiatrist, is that it's an embodied process. We feel our emotions actually in our body. And in fact, often old experiences, which Sam's seen me release with people, are stuck in their body. So how do I feel in my body? I'll give you another really amazing thing about awareness, okay? I'm going to ask you guys, right? When you don't feel good, what's your tone of voice like? Or if I said to you, I really love this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We all know. And the thing is, our self-talk, our internal dialogue, our persona, it has a tone. It has Mm. body language. And being aware of how you move about day to day is a great, that's probably the best indicator of how you feel. That's awareness. Agreements, this is based on the Buddhist Four Noble Truths, okay? So the first is that, and this this is a really, really big one, because much of the suffering is created by the ego. And what I mean by the ego is not you being, you know, selfish, etc., not just being egoic and boosting yourself up. What I mean by the ego is an attachment to your mind. We can explore that more in a minute. So the, the four noble truths, I go through three of them here. You make an agreement that I'm not the only one. Mm. So I'm experiencing some sadness right now. I've had a relationship breakup. But you know what? I could go on any dating app and notice that most people on there have gone through a relationship breakup. So I'm not the only one, number one. Number two, you say, okay, well, if I... if suffering is part of the human experience, then there must be causes and conditions to the suffering. Must be a reason why I'm suffering. And why? Okay. Well, because there's a guy over there who's been through a relationship breakup and he's not suffering. So what are the causes and conditions of my suffering? This is the really empowering bit. So you then start to look inwards and you start to go, oh, it's it's because I maybe you start off at the surface level. I beat myself up when I haven't slept well. Or maybe it's because I believe I'm not good enough or I'm not safe or I had issues with my mother and my father that I've never really resolved. And then the last thing is, if I know that there's causes and conditions, then I can do something about them. And that's when we move into action. So awareness, agreements, three agreements, and then last of all, actions. And I split actions up into biological, psychological and spiritual, whatever works for you. We we could go into that in more detail, but... This is a big misconception about compassion, that it's sitting on the couch eating crisps and, you know, not doing anything. But my, my answer to that often is compassion is the embodiment of pure di- divine feminine energy, motherly energy. And anyone who is a mother that really loves and cares for their children wouldn't let their children do that. <laughs> There's no way. They, would, they care for their future, not just, like, making them feel good in the now. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm sorry, I'm just uh, taking a minute to like think about it. I've just never heard it put like that. Really interesting. These three A's, they're just so um, practical, aren't they? And I think can apply to so many different situations. But I'm trying to think of other situations, maybe in your experience working yeah. with your your clients. I, you know, we talked about a relationship breakup, but I suppose these would work in someone who is, well, you've also mentioned like a business breakdown or, or something yeah, like that, yeah. where it's not going so well, but perhaps someone that is not happy with their physical health at the moment, maybe they're overweight and want to change that. Um, someone that's writing a book and is getting pressure from the publisher. I don't know. Are there, yeah, are there yeah. other examples where you've seen it and it just works? Because I think it's such an interesting tool. I want people, oh listeners, to, to think like, okay, I'm going through something right now. Nilesh has just mentioned these three A's. Well, I could follow that pattern and they could have some real like breakthroughs, couldn't they? And it could really yeah. help them. Yeah, absolutely. So this is, this is my method for instantly changing the way you feel so sometimes the deep work is you know i love that sometimes the deep work is really important and i would recommend if you want to do the deep stuff that it's it's important that you seek some support or guidance with someone Mm. and not necessarily a friend ideally someone trained otherwise i can go into that but it's a little bit more deep and complicated this this is let's say you know you've been feeling pretty um overrun and burnt out from work and you know that you've got an important meeting coming up and you know this essential truth, which is the self-fulfilling prophecy, which has proven so many studies. Uh, Pygmalion effect is one of them. It could go on for ages. You know that if you walk into that meeting in a negative frame of mind, then your awareness, remember what I spoke about earlier, your awareness is going to look for things. It's going to predict. Remember, the brain predicts, understands, reacts, and then repeats. Hmm. So it's just going to predict more shit that comes to you, basically, <laughs> right? I, I remember when I was working as a doctor, I had a lot of my colleagues, they would say, oh, oh that person, and forgive me for swearing, but that person's a shit magnet on the weekend. Hmm. They'd all have all the, all the difficult cases, all the stuff would just come to them, come to them, come to them. And I thought, wow, that's so interesting. It's the same reason. So, yes, um, you can use it in the moment for anything that you want. Right. But I would just just start very basically with how do I feel right now? Then the next question is, like, what agreements can I make about this? Am I the only one? Is there a cause for this? What can I do about it? These are the follow-on questions. And then the last thing is, what do I need? That is the essential question of self-compassion. Because remember, when we have an emotional experience that we perceive as negative, all that means is that we're experiencing something that we don't want. Okay, so if we're experiencing something right now we don't want, what do I need in this moment? Mm-hmm. And the more you train, and people might think I'm crazy, but I can honestly show you that with, with people, the more you train making yourself feel a specific way without any external stimulus, you know, without the coffee or the booze or the dating apps, whatever it is, without that, the more you train that, all of a sudden, you're like, wow, I feel completely held, whole, complete, loved, blissful in my own space. And then you become very dangerous and high-performing because then all of a sudden you show up with a level of poise and presence that is very unique in today's society. Yeah, which will not only make you feel great, but it will mean that you're a pretty attractive person to be around or a pretty comfortable person to be around as well won't it if you're in that in that space yeah I love it and I, I know 
the the point about how people sometimes or often jump to the actions. I suppose we've all been guilty of the past in in the past of that of like I just need to get to the get to the solutions and and not having that awareness and agreements. And that's why I think it's so so powerful. Um, you, I didn't want to interrupt your flow. You said something about a Pygmalion effect, and I don't yeah. know what that is. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, this is very relates very much to to your work, Sam. Um, so famously, uh, there was a number of studies done, but it was, I think it was in the, around the 60s, where what they did, and this always brings a smile to my face, is that they basically switched the classes up. I, I think in primary school children of relatively young age, where they told the teachers that four of these children out of 20 are really gifted. Forgive me about the numbers, but I think it's around that. A small proportion of this class are very, very gifted. Yeah. And in and they followed the two classes up. In one class, of course, it was true that these, these kids did have a very high IQ. Um, but in the other class, it wasn't true. They were the kids with the lowest IQ. But what happened? Well, of course, because the teachers believed that they were gifted, the kids with the low IQ scores actually ended up doing phenomenally well that year. Yeah, and so this is a self-fulfilling prophecy that our reality becomes what we believe. Our personal reality becomes our personality, and I, I can't I can't stress that enough. I know this is quite like I feel like it may be quite challenging for some people, but it's very very empowering as well because once you go inwards, you can start to mold and shape your experience with work and practice. I'm not saying this happens overnight, but with with work and practice. So, yeah, Pygmalion effect is essentially saying that uh, the observer will always affect the observed and that our beliefs will have a significant impact on the way we see the world. And I suppose that works just for ourselves as well. The way we see ourselves will, of course, impact the work that we produce and what we put out into the world. Yeah. Is that an obvious thing? It's not obvious at all. Not not teachers and pupils, we're talking about ourselves. I say, you know part of coaching is understanding people's gifts and so i of course went into my own gifts and one of them was being an appreciator of potential i noticed that you know from a young age i always loved cultivating potential in others noticing the beauty in others appreciating excellence and i took a test and it said this and i learned that from my mum as well she's amazing and she was a teacher at all ages um so yes the thing is I see potential in everyone. <laughs> and the reason for that is, is that I can see you for the real you, the spiritual you, not necessarily someone in this physical body. And you must remember that, you know, the odds of you being born into this existence is like, you know, trillions, one in four trillion. I forget the number exactly. And so when we're young, we are unfiltered. We have not taken on society's conditioning and, you know, the negative beliefs of our environment and our family. And so we have those dreams, don't we? We have those dreams. I'm going to be this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. And then slowly over time, it, it grinds us down. And I, I would challenge and invite people at home to start changing things one thing at a time. I'll give you an example. So um, I thought for many, many years that I was awful at reading. In fact, the funny story about this was that I would read two books a year, that's it, and it would take me about six months to read, uh, two pages a night, whatever, on the nightstand. And I was, um, you know, I was part of this group of GPs, and I got to interview this guy 
who wrote a book, a really famous book in the GP world called The Inner Consultation. And he told me a story about how he wrote a book when he just qualified as a GP. And he told me how he did it. He said, oh, it's just like, whatever, 50,000 words, and I'm going to write 5,000 words um, over 10, now I'm going to write 1,000 words over 50 days, and there it is, it's done. And I thought, wow, this guy's really amazing. And I learned, after, after meeting him, my beliefs were shifted. Mm. Like, oh, maybe he's something like me in some way. Like, maybe I can learn from him. So I took a course on how to read, and over the last three years, I read over 230 books, right? But I took a course on how to read. I had to change what I believed first. Yeah. And so I just really want to show everyone that that, that, that kind of change is absolutely possible, that it must start with you questioning your current view of the world. Yeah. Right. Before we kind of come towards the end of the conversation, I saw a, a post from you, I can't remember how long ago it was, but it was it was 12 actions to develop self-compassion, um, which I really liked. Obviously, you know, both of us, we like our, our practical steps, don't we? But yeah, yeah. are there any in particular that you would like to mention? Um, 12 actions that um, our listeners can, can employ to develop self-compassion. Are there any favorites of yours? Yeah, favorites. I'll talk about ones that my clients like the most and okay. and what I see are most effective in people. So again, remember, this is about mastering your emotions and believing you can change. That's why we're mm. sharing that story, believing you can change. Because sometimes when I talk about mastering your emotions, you might think, but I've always been this way and I can't change. So that's what I'm challenging in, in all of you with yeah. life, of course. <laughs> Twelve actions. Um, breath it is absolutely, and I know Sam talks a lot about this. But it is really phenomenally powerful. In fact, you know, studies would show that you can predict anxiety attacks in people even a week to 10 days before they occur just through monitoring the quality of their breath. So I do a, a, a breath with compassion, which is a Tonglen breath practice where you breathe with intention. So you breathe in suffering, any stresses, any challenges with that intention and you send out all the joy you wish others to receive. You can play around with timings, et cetera, but the intention of the breath is very powerful. Mm. Um, that's, that's one that I'd love everybody to try. Another one um, for people that would want to do something, you know, more psychological, or I like this more of a mental one, which is really underrated. And I would encourage everybody to improve in this area, no matter how good you are at it. And that's with visualization or imagination. And so if anyone's seen Harry Potter movies and, you know, he conducts a Patronus charm and you have to think of a happy memory, you know, we, we have that power within ourselves that we can elevate our own emotional states. We can move past fear, sadness and, and anger and into gratitude and love through going into our mind's eye and visualizing somebody that we love and visualizing a colored light coming through them. And the great thing about this, you can do this on the train, no one knows. You can do this anyway, obviously not driving, but you can do this anywhere you like. Um, so a visualization of somebody you love is another action I would recommend. And then last of all, yeah, do you know what? I personally, I'm a big music person. And I think it's really, really underrated. Again, great science on how endorphins 
uh, are released during music and dance and movement and how every day in part of my routine, the kids, you know, my daughter's two, she comes down, she says, music, music, music. <laughs> and it's just an instant vibrator. It's an instant way to elevate your emotions. And I just want to give people that awareness. It's like people go, oh, I don't feel like it. I'm like, okay, William James quote, you think that feeling follows action, but actually action and feeling go together. And sometimes it's necessary to do the action and then you go, ah, I feel better. Um, those are three. I, would, I mean, I could go on for ages, but I, I won't. I know do. you could, Nilesh. I know you could. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, the mu- music's an interesting one. And it, it's something that I think when I really got into the world of meditation and just trying to slow down, which I, I needed to do, not because I was in a high-pressure job or I had a family or anything like that, but I think I've, uh, for a long time, was a pretty anxious, wound up, go to keep going, um, not necessarily at work, but just got to keep moving my body, exercising and that thing. And then I found, you know, slow practices, meditation, breath work, and it was life-changing because it mean, meant I could slow down and, and you look around and go, oh, this is what's like, what it's like when I'm just here. But then the, the kind of trade-off I felt like that um, I then experienced was that I didn't listen to that kind of high tempo music because I was like, no, no, I don't want to get all wound up again. So I didn't listen to like my my favorite old bands like, you know, Block Party and The Strokes and, and, and these different people where I just love it and kind of dance around in my kitchen or whatever while I'm cooking. I stopped doing that. And it's only in the past, I think, year, maybe after a conversation or a coaching session that we had when you, you reminded me about the, the power of music, where I was like, no, no, like I, I need to get back into that and just be okay with experiencing that moment of just sticking the music on and, and loving it. And, and like you said, that, um, you know, mood follows action, doesn't it? Like yeah. you've got to get yeah. yourself, you can't, you can't think yourself out of a rut and uh, low energy. You've got to do something about it. And sometimes when I'm sat on the sofa and I'm like, oh gosh, I just want to carry on lying here. But then you get up, you stick on your favorite band and it's like, oh, okay, actually I can go and do something a bit more productive now whatever the case may be. Amazing, amazing. You know, guys, the message, we've spoken a lot about mastering emotions, about compassion, and just the message for people to, to hear, which I put up very frequently on, on my Instagram, is that there is nothing more important than your emotional journey. I know some people at home are like, but Nilesh, I've got bills to pay. You know, you don't understand, Nilesh, my child's sick. I'm, I'm ill, I've got cancer. I understand. Listen, I, I actually, I hear you. And I don't know your whole story, but one thing I can say is I've had thousands and thousands of people's stories now through medicine, reading, 11 years, and also in coaching. And one thing I've learned is that there is nothing outside of you. There's nothing outside of you that will ever fix you and you'll be perfect and then you'll have no problems. It's just nothing. I've met people with 40 million, I've met lords and ladies, hundreds of millions, Unless you understand how to master your emotional states, then you, you always feel like something's missing. So I, I, I know it seems challenging right now because you think, whoa, I've got, do I just spend all my time just feeling good? And, you know, I would say to that, basically, that's what I'm doing now, which this feels great. And I do it. And I appreciate for a long time I couldn't do that. But I, just try a little bit. Just say, okay, could I could I spend half an hour today, 15 minutes of doing something that my inner child would have loved, like dancing around the kitchen to music or, you know, speaking on the phone to a friend, just something, just anything. And you'll notice your capacity, your energy, 
to complete your jobs, to make decisions, to move past fears, to feel less angry, to have difficult conversations, it will all be exponentially better because, of course, everything's easier when you're in the right emotional state. Feels like a good place to start to wrap it up, doesn't it? Yes, that was my closing message. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great closing message. But I'm going to ask three questions before we go, Nilesh. Sure. Pretty kind of quick fire. The first one is, what's the one lesson that you wish you'd have been taught when you were a child? That exact lesson I just shared. The emotional journey is the most important thing. What's just one habit I could add to my life that would help me feel better, help me feel great? Close attention to the breath throughout the whole day. And if you could give everyone in the world one book, what book would you give them? Oh, my gosh. Well, the favorite book that I've read, and I've read possibly 15 times, is Deepak Chopra's Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. So I would say that. Nice one. All right, Nilesh, thank you so much for your for your time. Um, it's always, always a an enlightening experience when I chat to you. And I've, I feel very privileged to have, have connected with you through social media. When was it? Three, four years ago, something like that. And then we, we've stayed in touch. I've been lucky enough to be um, involved with your with, with coaching groups and, and other events that you've put on, which are always just just mind blowing. Um, they're amazing. The quality stuff that you are putting out there and the, the help that you're giving people is just, it's, it's incredible. People that want to connect with you and see the work that you're doing, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me at Dr. Sakaru on Instagram or www.drsakaru.com. That's D-R-S-A-T-G-U-R-U.com. But, you know, one thing I'll say is, Sam, you're actually just like me. You just don't fully see it yet. So I will encourage everyone that I invite into my coaching and my programs I invite people in because I see those same things. And so, you know, know that, that we're actually, we're all the same. We're not that much more different. Don't be fooled by the illusions and the symbols of things around you. We're so much more similar than anyone knows. Appreciate you, man. See you soon. See you soon. Okay, thank you for tuning in. As always, I really hope you found my conversation with Nilesh insightful. And if you did enjoy the episode, please share it with friends, family and colleagues who you think would find it helpful. And you can also support the podcast by following and rating the show on whichever app you're listening on. Thank you again, and I'll be bringing you another episode very soon.